everybody to episode number 19 of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Owens, from the Average Jake Firefighter Blog. Tiger, one day you will come to a fork in the road, Boyd said to him, and you're going to have to make a decision about which direction you want to go. Using his hands to illustrate, Boyd marked off these two directions. If you go that way, you can be somebody. You will have to make compromises, and you will have to turn your back on your friends. But, you will be a member of the club, and you will get promoted, and you will get good assignments. Then Boyd paused to make the alternative clear. Or, he said, you can go that way, and you can do something. Something for your country, and for your Air Force, and for yourself. If you decide you want to do something, you may not get promoted, and you may not get the good assignments, and you certainly will not be a favorite of your superiors. But you won't have to compromise yourself. You will be true to your friends and to yourself, and your work might make a difference. To be somebody or to do something. In life, there is often a roll call, and that's when you will have to make a decision. And then Boyd concluded with words that would guide that young man and many of his peers for the rest of their lives to be or to do. Which way will you go? That is a passage from one of the chapters in the book, Ego is the Enemy. Um, So far, I'm just getting into it, but when I read that passage yesterday, I really, really wanted to share it on the podcast because it's... It's a lot of how I've been feeling lately, and also it was on uh, one of the books that we recommended in the episode with Brandon Douglas that every, uh, one of the books that every fire officer should read. You should go check that episode out. Uh, it was one of his books that he recommended that, that everyone should read, so I wanted to pick it up because I'd been looking at it for a while, and, and I even picked it up a couple times but didn't buy it, and you know, just in my local bookstore. So when I read that passage, it's it's really how how I've been feeling lately, and especially coming off the heels of a great, great week, which is that what is the bulk of the episode is going to be about, is reviewing the command officer, rather the officer development program from County Fire Tactics that I just came back from. But uh, when I read that yesterday, I was sitting here reading, and I read that passage, and it was just something I wanted to share with everyone. For those who don't know, uh, that's from Colonel John Boyd. He's the, you know, credited with creating the OODA loop and you know, decision-making and all of those things. A lot of people don't even know who he is, and a guy as smart as him and everything, they, uh, he never got past the rank of colonel. Uh, in the United States Air Force uh, because, like he says in the passage, he was a doer. He didn't compromise what he believed in. He didn't compromise his beliefs. He did things. And sometimes when you do things, it doesn't make you very popular. And that's a lot of how I've been feeling lately. Um, And I fully get the the irony when I say that I want to do something. I don't want to be someone. And I fully get the irony about you know, having a podcast and a blog and all of those things and a Twitter without and saying you want to do something, but really this is a labor for me of wanting to do. Uh, this isn't to get my name out there. This isn't to get people to know me. Uh, I don't have swag. Not knocking anybody that has swag, but like you can't get an average Jake firefighter shirt because there's not a there's no such thing. You can't get an average Jake firefighter sticker because there's no such thing. I, I just don't believe in in monetizing what I do. And for those that do, that's awesome. I, I buy your stuff. Uh, you know, I've ordered stuff from apparel companies because I like how it looks. <clears throat> but for me, this is more about wanting to do something than wanting to be someone. So that's just how I've been feeling. And, and I have felt that in the last year or two that I have compromised some things that I believe in. And I think I said this in another episode that I'm done doing that. And it may make me unpopular. It may I may never get to the rank that I really want to get to, which is battalion chief. That's really where I'd like to end my career. Uh, but I realize that it is going to be a tough road when you don't always play the game. Uh, I play the game when it needs to be played, but 
there are certain things that I'm not willing to do and I'm not willing to compromise and I'm not going to turn my back on my friends. I'm not going to say that a guy is not suited for promotion and this guy is, uh, you know, when I don't believe that, uh, especially if, if they're my friends, right? Like if I think that my friend is good, then I'm going to tell you he's good. If I think my friend is bad, I'm going to tell you he's bad. Uh, you know, and I, that's just the things that, that I believe in. So I really recommend, I'm, I'm almost through the very first part of, of ego is the, is the enemy and talking about aspiring for success. And so far, it's really, really, I've been writing in the margins of the book. Um, you know, in fact, after that passage in the margin of the book is that I want to do with three big exclamation points. And, and that's really what, what this, you know, is all about is that I want to do things. I don't want to have a name. I don't want to be, you know, known uh, I want to be a doer. I want to be out there doing things, and if and if that makes a name for me, then that's fine. Uh, I'm I'm okay with that, but it's not what I'm striving for. I I hope that people, when they interact with me and they see what I'm about, that it's more about the work that I'm doing and the and the stuff that I'm passing on than it is about oh that's Robbie or that you know from the average Jake or you know blah blah blah. So. Uh, you know, really, you know, take that passage for what it will. I really recommend getting Ego as the Enemy. I'm probably going to finish it in like two or three days, which is one of the fastest books I've ever read uh, because I, I'm just, it, it's hard to put down. It's an easy read. It's not a long read. Uh, the, you know, it's a small book, but man, it, it is a powerful read. So don't, uh, as they say, don't judge a book by its cover or by its size. And that is a super duper powerful read. And I'm really, really enjoying it. So uh, moving on with what I really wanted to talk about in this episode is talking about the 2019 CFT ODP. I just got back literally you know, two or three days ago, and what an amazing, amazing experience. 250 firefighters in Pensacola Beach, Florida, learning from one of the most respected fire chiefs in all the country, uh, John Norman. And while I don't want to get into too terrible much like of everything that I talked about uh, or everything that he talked about I, I really want to you know go over some of the nuggets that I got out of the conference but also talk about the conference itself so let's talk about you know flying in and, and just you know and everything and just kind of encourage you to go to these things so let's start at the beginning uh, flew out of Richmond Virginia which is our local airport the airport is literally about five minutes from my house it doesn't take long at all and ended up, uh, you know, flying out direct flight to Pensacola, uh, or excuse me, not a direct flight to Pensacola. That's probably one of the negatives. I don't think many places are going to be able to get a direct flight, so that means you're dealing with connections. I know of several guys coming from the Northeast that they didn't get there till the first break uh, or lunchtime on the first day of the conference, just having to deal with delays and everything. And that's one of the negatives. I mean, it's a great conference. The area, even though it was cold, is beautiful. I mean, I went for a couple of runs while I was there, and it was just great, you know, just the, the view. It, it, it was cold, but the area just beautiful. The restaurants are, fan, are fabulous. There's, you know, plenty to do. <clears throat> it's just tough to get there. Even when you get to the Pensacola Airport, it's still about a 20 to 30 minute drive depending on traffic to actually get out to Pensacola Beach from the airport. And that's difficult. I mean, you have to go over these long bridges and all these things. It's just it's just difficult. However, CFT, County Fire Tactics, specifically Kurt and his team, they make it pretty easy. Um, you know, he rents vans and he has shuttles and they have shuttles working left and right all day. I mean, literally, we got off the plane in Pensacola, went to use the restroom, got our bags. And when we walked out, there was two County Fire Tactics vans sitting there ready for us to go to the airport, uh, to the to the hotel. Very, very smooth. No problem. The guys were very personable. Uh, you know, they talked you know, both rides from the, the airport to the hotel. And then when we left from, uh, you know, the last day of the conference, it, it, you know, both guys are very personable, you know, not complaining, you know, especially especially the early morning ones, you know, on the way back, man, it, you know, just great, great, great guys. And they were wanting to talk to you. They wanted to share what they do in Pensacola or Navarre or wherever they're working. So that was really, really great. It saved a ton of money because you figure an Uber ride from the airport was going to be at least 
$35. Uh, and especially, I was traveling with a group of, of four people that were on the same plane. We ended up meeting our fifth guy later on when he got there. But you figure if you're going uh, Uber, you're going to have to get an Uber XL because you've got your pack, you've got your bags and everything. And an Uber XL is way more expensive than a regular Uber. Lyft tends to be a little bit cheaper, but we're talking like two or three dollars. We're not talking about 10, 15, 20 bucks cheaper. So that tends to you know, save a, a, a tremendous cost, if it, if, especially when you're trying to Uber back and forth. Also, the the shuttles would run to some of the restaurants. They ran guys to the uh, grocery store. So you figure you're saving tons of money. Anytime one of those guys is letting you use that shuttle, you're saving a ton, a ton, a ton of money. You're saving a $20 Uber ride both ways every time you're, you know, you're, you're getting there. So that, right off the bat, set the tone for a great conference. Just the ease of getting out to the Pensacola Beach Hilton. And, and just... And, and, and that's just, you know, that is a big deal. People think that that's something small, but that is a big deal. I've gone out to FDIC many a times, and, you know, some of those shuttles that are, are they're good, uh, especially if you have to stay at some of these airports. But, man, they're crowded. They're packed. You have to wait on them. I didn't have to wait for anything when I went out to the CFT ODP. So that was a, immediately a great, great way to start the conference. And then you get to uh, the kind of the first night while we're there everything is kind of out there you know you go and you and you 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 don't need a car once you get out there i mean i guess if you wanted to walk a little bit further but where the pensacola beach hilton is it's within walking distance to some pretty phenomenal restaurants and one of the things that cft was doing is they knew the play people were a lot of people were getting there on sunday and they knew the nfl uh afc and nfc championship games were going on so what they did they kind of threw a little party and the hotel bar. Uh, when we got there, we went out to eat at one of the local restaurants, came back, and the place, the Pensacola Beach Bar, Hilton Bar, was hopping. All the games were on the TVs. You know, they had them all on TV. They had the sound piped in so you could hear. And it was just a great atmosphere. It was great. You know, uh, several firefighters, probably 50 or so, sitting around the bar, getting drinks, talking football, talking fire tactics, you know, starting to meet people. Um, you know, and sort of, hey, what fire department are you from? And that's what you really get out of a lot of these things is the ability to network and make connections and find out what other firefighters are doing. Um, you know, the, a ton of, ton of, ton of stuff of learning takes place during the class, but a ton, a ton more takes place after hours, in between breaks, all of those things. Even sitting at the table. I had conversations with guys sitting next to me from Houston, from other parts of Texas that I can't really, re- I can't remember where they said they were from. Uh, you know, just about, hey, this is not what we do. Oh, really? Why is that? You know, while John Norman or Kurt Isaacson is talking. So that was, you know, so that's kind of how, you know, uh, the first day, I guess, or arrival kind of went. It was great, great experience. Uh, so day one of the conference, day one of the conference, they started off with John Norman. And he was talking about fires in private dwellings. He was talking about size up. He was talking about um, you know a little bit of survivability profiling, which he has a pretty controversial take on that. And uh, he had a pretty controversial take on a couple things that uh, <laughs> that is uh, you know it, it's it's kind of funny that uh, you know it, there's so much going on these days between us versus them, and when I say them, like, everyone's like, you know, we fight fire for them, and we do this. Uh, John Norman, he actually kind of had a diff- had an interesting take on that. He, and, and to be quite honest, if you could sum up any of John Norman's classes, I listened to him talk probably about six or seven years ago in Orange County, Virginia, and that class and this class were very similar in the fact that his main point on anything that he's talking about is it depends. And what I mean by that is that anytime he brings up a situation, he gives a scenario and you're trying to answer it like, oh yeah, we would go through the front door or or we would throw the slider to the window or we would do... His answer to everything is, it depends. He started the conference out day one. First things that he said was that I come from the fire department of New York I also volunteered in these little small places, so I have a good perspective on urban and suburban tactics. And one of the very first things he said was that do not try to be the FDNY unless you have the FDNY staffing. 
And that is a message that every firefighter out there needs to be. Look, I love the FDNY. If you came over to my house in my man cave, I've got Code 3 collectibles of all the FDNY rescue companies. I've got Code 3 collectibles of all the FDNY uh, uh, squad companies. I've got FDNY fire trucks. I've got movies from the FDNY, like, you know, fire buff videos uh, that I still watch to this day that I got when I was probably, you know, 20, 25 years old that I still watch to this day. I still I still watch Brotherhood, I, uh, you know, uh, the movie Good Job that Steve Buscemi did. I watch that. I love the FDNY. I read FDNY history. The FDNY is bar none the best fire department in probably the world. Definitely in the United States. Definitely North America. No ifs, ands, or buts. They do some amazing, amazing things, and they see some amazing, amazing things. But none of the rest of us are them. None of the rest of us are them. We cannot always do, no matter how good they are at what they do, we cannot do what they do. We can't. We don't have their staffing levels. We don't have their buildings. We don't have any of the things that they have. Sure, if you have their levels of staffing, and then there are and there are people that do. There are people that are riding five man engines and six man rescue companies. Feel free to adopt those tactics. But there are certain things that in my in my fire department. Granted, we're a large suburban fire department, but we still we're riding three per, three person engines, three person rescue companies, three person ladder companies. And where my station is, we drop our third person to bring the tanker behind us for any fire that's in a non hydrated area. We cannot do what the FDNY does. And I'm so glad he started that out, the conference out with that, because so many people, so many people try to be like, well, FDNY does it, we should do it. FDNY does it, we should do it. No, that's not necessarily the case. Not everybody, like in my fire department, everybody has to drive the engine. Everybody has to get cut loose as a DPO. Everybody. If you want to keep your job, you have to get cut loose to drive. Period. End of story. FDNY doesn't do that. A lot of big urban fire departments don't do that. They have a guy that drives every day. They have a guy that drives every day. Do you know what the guy that holds the Halligan bar does in the FDNY? He holds the Halligan bar. And that's what he does until he gets tired of it. That's not what we do. That's not what we do. We have to be a little bit, you know, and, and John Norman even said it himself, we have to actually be a little bit better than them. Because we're asked to do so much different stuff. Whereas the guy that holds the hook in the can, he holds the hook in the can. Period. End of story. That's his job. We can't just hold the hook in the can in, in suburban fire departments. We can't just hold the Halligan bar in suburban fire departments. So I'm so glad he started off the conference with those speeches. Um, it was just really, really, really great. He talked a lot about Cole's wealth. He talked a lot about size up, talking about size up being important. One of the other controversial things he said on day one was that we have to put ourselves at a higher priority. And there's a lot of talk about us versus them, about, you know, we should always do everything for them and that they're, you know, the fire services, you know, put things, you know, we've put our, ourselves ahead of the victims. And what John, John Norman's not saying that we should put ourselves in front of the victims. But what he is saying is that we need to kind of be right underneath them because if we're not capable, if we're not wearing our gear, if we're not in shape, if we're not being a little bit cautious, then we're not going to be around to help anybody. <clears throat> and I think that's important. Because when you hear the other end of the spectrum, and I, and I really like, you know, to, to, to break away for just a second, my beliefs align more with <clears throat> John Norman's beliefs. My beliefs align more with the it depends mantra. My beliefs align more with the Yes, the victim is super important and everything we need to do is for them and, and, and I, I believe that, but I also believe that we have to be we have to take care of ourselves, right? Um, you know, we have to make sure that every time we take a risk, that it is, to quote Kurt Isaacson, worth the risk. And even Kurt, who's a big it's worth the risk guy, stood up there and said, you know, he wrote down in his book as he's in there kind of being a student as well, that he needs to make sure he's taking care of himself too. And it's things like if there are burglar bars on a window, 
you need to operate more cautiously than you would if they weren't. Because if something goes wrong before somebody gets those burglar bars off the windows, you're not going to have an alternative means of, e- of exit. And he was big, big on talking about alternative means of exit. He was, you should always know your way out and your second way out whenever you go in a fire building. And he, you know, he really, really talked about that. But he really talked about we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. We need to make sure that we're squared away before we can help anybody else. Okay? And that is a big deal, right? That is a big deal. Like if we are not somewhere on that priority list, and to me it's kind of like victim number one, we're kind of a 1A, we're never going to be able to help anybody. We're never going to be able to help anybody. So... And I know that kind of that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I could even hear people groaning in the classroom when he talked about that stuff. And he said it way more powerful than, than I could ever say it. But he definitely – I definitely kind of align with that, right? The, the victim's still number one. I, I don't disagree with that. But we got to be somewhere high on that priority list because if we're not and we're taking these just reckless, reckless chances, we're not going to be able to help anybody. So I definitely think that, that, and again, that that sets some people the wrong way. It's a lot of, it's very controversial. In fact, you know, guys from his fire department, guys from his fire department don't agree with him. They don't agree with him. So that's just something that's different. Um, He talked about uh, survivability profiling, specifically brought up Stephen Marsar, again, from the FDNY. And I won't tell you what he said about him, but one of the things that I really liked and one of the best descriptions of anybody talking about survivability profiling. I mean, he said he didn't believe in it, but he also believed in the fact that there are victims that we can't save and that can be judged based on fire conditions. And one of the things he talked about was smoked versus roasted fire victims. And that is, I think, one of the best ways to describe whether we should try and occupy space inside of a fire building or not. If they're just smoked, i.e., There is smoke in that room. There's smoke in the building. We should be in there. We should be searching. We should give them the benefit of the doubt. We're not God. We don't know if they're alive or not. If they're roasted, if that room, when you pull up and the window is, you know, got flames coming out of it or an entire floor has flames coming out of it, chances are that there's not survivable space in there. So we need to be a little more cautious. We're still going to search it. We're still going to search it, but we're going to search it before, after we knock the fire down. Or we're going to search the other higher, higher probability areas where they're just smoked. I really liked that analogy, smoked versus roasted. And, and that, I think, is where I'm going to start to take my search priorities. Okay, they're smoked, they're smoked, they're smoked. We're going to go in and search and try to occupy that space. Oh, hey... That room has got nothing but fire in it when I do my 360. Hey, that room, we're not going to waste our time in there until after the line's in there. We're going to search these other rooms where there's just smoke. I think that that's a lesson that I learned um, big time. Talking about staying on walls when you're searching. He's like, staying on the walls is a great way to get, not to get lost, but it's not a great way to find victims. He's talking about using the tick with that as well. Um, again, I think that's something we all know. He talked a lot about trying to rescue people. One of the quotes that he talked about too, again, talking about uh, you know doing things that you can do, not trying to apply FDNY staffing to, uh, not trying to apply FDNY staffing to everywhere else. Is this? Do not get people killed doing something you can't do. And he really talked about that a lot with commercial fires. Again, FDNY sending a ton, a ton, a ton of people to a commercial fire, to, to a fire in general. They're sending a bunch of people. So. You can't get someone killed. He even said that if you if you get someone killed doing something that you shouldn't be doing, trying to apply improper tactics, he's going to come testify against you. He's testified in several expert witness cases, and he's like, I will come testify against you if you get someone killed doing one of those things. So just be careful because John Norman's coming for you if you're trying to apply FDNY tactics when you don't, uh, when you don't have the staffing to do so. He talked a lot about some, some fires. Uh, that the, that he's gone to, and uh, and here's the thing that really enhanced the class for me. And I did this when whoever was speaking because John Norman didn't talk all five days. He talked Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Kurt Isaacson talked on Tuesday and Thursday. I had my iPad in the classroom with me. 
um, initially to take notes, but I actually ended up handwriting the notes initially to take notes. But what I used my iPad for was to look up some of these cases. So John Norman talked about the 23rd Street fire, and he, and he talked a lot about the 23rd Street fire. A lot about the 23rd Street fire, specifically with the terrazzo floor. And Vincent Dunn has done a great, uh, some great stuff about that. I think there's a, there's a couple podcasts out there where Vincent Dunn talks about the 23rd Street fire. If you haven't listened to any of those, um, he was an engine lieutenant, I believe, at the time of the 23rd Street fire where they killed some firefighters in a floor collapse. So... If you if you haven't heard him talk about it, it's it's really worth your time and effort to go hear him talk about it. But uh, he talked about that. So what? As he's talking about it, I look it up, and as he's talking about the details of it, I'm reading the NIOSH report, or I'm reading you know Vincent Dunn's account or Christopher Nam's account of the 23rd Street fire, and that enhanced the class for me. Maybe it doesn't do that for everyone else, but as he's talking. I'm I'm reading these other things, and I did that several times throughout the conference because even uh, Chief Ike, Kurt Isaacson, when he brought up some things that happened specific in Escambia County or specific in Northwest Florida, some things that I'd never even heard of, type on my iPad, pull up the call, uh, and read the details of it while they're talking about it in class to educate myself, uh, to even educate myself further. Wrote notes on all of it so that I can go back and look at it, made tabs, and even downloaded in class some of the NIOSH reports that I had never heard of and put them in my iBooks and I read them on the plane on the way back. So to me, that's something that can really enhance your class instead of just sitting there listening. Um, again, sometimes it works for people, sometimes it don't. That really, really, really resonated with me. Uh, one of the big things he talked about too was altered billing, buildings killing firefighters, specifically like Black Sunday in the FDNY, where those guys had to bail out. That was an altered building. Uh, and I think he's 100% right. We don't see that as much where I'm at. We see it a little bit in some of the areas that border the city of Richmond. But I truly believe that. When you're walking around the outside of a building and you've got a pretty good idea uh, what the layout of a rancher is, let's say. Pretty much everybody knows what a rancher is. Like when you walk in the front door, you know bedrooms are going to be to the right or the left, kitchen's usually in the back, so on and so forth. But if there's some other extra walls in there, it can really throw your orientation off. And so be aware of those altered buildings when you're fighting fire. And that kind of summed up day one for him. Day two of the conference, which was a Tuesday, Kurt Isaacson tackled some special operations stuff. And admittedly, I think Kurt was a little bit overwhelmed with that. I mean, you know, he's trying to cover someone else's text. He's using someone else's PowerPoints. Uh... And Kurt is just a different speaker than John Norman is. John Norman, he only raises his voice for emphasis. If you've ever heard Chief Ike talk, it is full blast, full volume the whole time, full speed the whole time. Some people like that, some people don't. I actually like that. I like I like how he presents things. I took his gallons per second class at FDIC probably three years ago, and I really enjoyed listening to his talk, listening to his take on things. Um, so he talked about a lot of things. Here's some of the stuff from Kurt Ike, uh, from Kurt Isaacson and Chief Ike that uh, really stuck out to me. He coined this phrase you might see it on one of his uh, his next T-shirts is uh, blue collar common sense, and that's something that he talks about with being out in Escambia where they don't have a million dollar rescue truck. He even showed the the bread truck that he rode on when he was a volunteer that was supposed to be their heavy rescue that uh <laughs> pretty uh pretty good stuff but he was like we use blue collar common sense out here and that is something that is so going away from the fire service because very few people and I'm not knocking education I have a bachelor's degree okay but we don't have guys and gals coming in the fire service that have a blue collar background that have ever started a chainsaw that even cut their own grass they don't even understand and I'm not the most handy guy in the world right I'm not the most handy guy in the world but I know how a chainsaw works. I know how to pull the spark plug out of a chainsaw. I know how to pull the fuel filter out of a chainsaw. Okay, I understand that when a motor's flooded, you have to let the you know there's things you have to do to get it to be able to be able to start. You know, I know how to change a blade on a chainsaw. Uh, or a blade, not a blade, the chain. I know how to change a blade on a K12 saw. You know, I know how to use a come along. I know how to use a ratchet strap. 
These are just some blue-collar common-sense things that we're just not seeing today. And so we're having to start from ground zero with a lot of these newer firefighters. And, and that's okay. It's just that you can't assume that they know anything anymore. You can't assume that you're getting firefighters out there that have cut trees or that even know how the proper way to swing an axe, even know you, you know the proper way to use a ratchet. Uh, I mean, it just it's, it's just not happening anymore. So that was one of the phrases that really, really, really got everybody going. Uh, he talked about the three mindsets of special ops on a call. The firefighter, the medic, and the civilian mindset. And when he talked about the firefighter mindset, and this is something guilty as charged, when he talked about the firefighter mindset, he talked about the, hey, we're going to do everything that we can do just because we're here. Even though this call maybe only needs us to pop the door and help the lady out, uh, we're going to do a B-post removal and cut the roof and roll the dash because, well, we're cutting their car anyway. Who cares? Then you got the medic mindset, which is, hey, just create enough space for us to get them out of there because they're hurt. We don't want you to do any of that stuff. We want you to create the minimum amount of space possible to get them out of there. You know, or minimum amount so that we can get our hands on them and save them. And then you've got the civilian mindset, which is... Do everything that you need to do to save myself, save my daughter, save my husband, save my son. And he talked about needing to operate in that mindset more. Needing to operate in the mindset of, hey, if we've got to roll this dash, we roll the dash. But we don't roll the dash just for no reason. Or, hey, if we got to cut this roof, we cut the roof. But we don't do any of that unless we need to do it. And we need to have the civilian's best interest in mind. Period. End of story. So I really, really liked that he talked about that. Uh, he talked about the history of the rescue companies. The rescue companies were originally designed to rescue firemen. Originally designed to rescue firemen. Their role expanded, but basically the rescue companies, they go where no one else can go. They go where no one else can go. And then he kind of got into a lot of other things. Um, he talked about some writ versus I writ. He talked about a lot of things that you know we we, we do. Um, you know, he talked about some some other fires too. He talked about Valentine's Day in Pittsburgh. He talked about Michael Davidson from FDNY sixty nine engine. He talked a lot about other things. Uh, we need, and he talked about developing specific phrases to get what you need on scene, and that is something I know my fire department really, really, really needs to work on. Um, man, you know, and, and I kind of call it the broken arrow word, right? FDNY, they have different 10 codes. You know, like a 1075 is a working fire. 1060 is a major emergency. And those are preloaded responses. Those are preloaded responses. I don't think that most, I think that all fire departments need those. I don't think that my fire department has enough of those. We have a few, like for MCIs, like, hey, this is a type whatever MCI, and it gets you a certain number of stuff. I feel like we need it for all of them. I shouldn't be at a scene of an incident and have to go and have to detail to a dispatcher what a hazmat call out is. I should be able to say, I need an on duty hazmat call out, and they should know what to send me. Or, I need an on-duty TRT response, and they know what to send me. I shouldn't have to tell them that that includes engine one, truck one, fire medic one, HR one, so on and so forth. I shouldn't have to give all that list of details. I shouldn't have to say that, you know, a Type 3 MCI gets an extra battalion chief, an extra supervisor, yada, you know, this many ambulances. I shouldn't have to run that list down every time because usually I'm busy when that happens and I know I'm not alone when that is. So I really feel that we need more broken arrow words and I call that broken arrow words because I just don't have a better phrase for it. But like when the, someone says broken arrow, everybody knows what that means. Or like when Peyton Manning said Omaha, everybody knows what that means. Okay, so we need more of those one word phrases to get us what we want, especially in the special operations realm, in the tech rescue realm, or the you know the the whatever realm that we're talking about, even on the fire ground, we need those broken arrow words. When I need, you know, like I said, second alarm that works, but maybe I don't need a second alarm. If I've got a firefighter trapped 
do I really need a do I need a second alarm? I know in my fire department a second alarm is two engines and a ladder truck. When I've got a firefighter trapped, is that really what I need? Maybe what I need with a firefighter trapped is I need the other two rescue companies that aren't there to come there because they have the tools that I need. Or maybe I need, you know, and I feel, you know, maybe I need two more ambulances. So I shouldn't have to detail all that stuff out. And I think there's something, I think that's something that, that every fire department out there needs to work on, specifically mine. And so that kind of ended day two of the conference. Um, again, I could definitely tell that, that Kurt, man, he did a great job with a topic that he was probably unprepared to do. Um, I felt that he did a great job. I didn't get as much out of it. And I can tell you with, you know, I can sum up Kurt's days. What I got the most out of Kurt's talks were his passion his energy. But what I got the most out of is at the end of Thursday, so I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but at the end of Thursday, he kind of went over a bunch of calls they'd had in Escambia. And he had a bunch of guys out there that were detailing like what they did on these calls. And that's really what I was looking for. Kurt is a suburban battalion chief who comes from a department they've got about, I think they've got 23 stations. Uh, Only 13 of them have career firefighters in them. So he's in a similar situation to me, similar size department. He has some different challenges, but he's in a similar situation to me. And what I really wanted to hear was, okay, we had, this is how I, as a suburban battalion chief, deal with these instances. Like, hey, we had a confined space rescue in Escambia. This is what I want. This is how I break down my assignments because it was, a, it was an officer development program. And they even pulled the room. Out of 250 guys, they're like, who's got at least operations level of trench rescue? And maybe out of 250, there was 20 people that didn't have operations level of confined space rescue. Same thing for all the other disciplines. He did that for all the other disciplines. And the, in the, the room was pretty similar with everything. It was maybe a little more for this or a little more for that. But most everyone in the room had at least a background in doing some sort of special operations. So from a company officer standpoint, at, a, at an officer development program, what I was really looking for was how suburban officers, or even just company officers in general, deal with these things, and how they start it, how they get it ready for their tech rescue team, how he is as a suburban battalion chief manages the incident, how does he do accountability when he sends people into the hole, how does he, uh, what resources does does he call, what resources does he have, and he did that pretty much after the second break, or excuse me, the first break after lunch, he did that from probably about 2 o'clock, 2.30, till 4.30, 5 o'clock. So I got the most out of that part on Thursday, his, the second day that he talked. I uh, I really, really, really got a lot out of that. And I took I probably took more notes during that part than I did at any other time he spoke. Um, and again, it was just something that probably, if he was going to go through the, the special operations book, then he probably could have found someone else better to teach that part. Uh, You know, that's not knocking Kurt. I think Kurt did a phenomenal job with the hand he was given, and he did eventually get to what I was looking for out of what he was talking about. Uh, Because I'm not a tech guy. Uh, I've got confined space ops. I've got trench rescue ops. I've got rope ops. uh, You know, I've got heavy vehicle, all those things. But it's not really something that I'm interested in. I learn about it so that I have the knowledge but it's not really something that I'm interested in. Uh, I was even the lieutenant of a rescue company for about eight or nine months and was glad to get off of it because it's just not something that interests me. I like to go into fires on it, but I just, I'm not really interested in doing rope systems and, and things like that. I know about them so that I can make them happen, but I want to go to fires. You know, I, I want to I want to go to, you know, other kind of types of calls. Those are the things that get my blood boiling. Uh, so I, that's what I really want to do. And so th- I didn't get as much out of some of the other stuff, but I did get a lot out of the command and control piece because that's kind of one of the things that I'm interested in. In my position, I ride up as a battalion, so I need to know how to set things up in a successful way. And he eventually got to that. So day three, John Norman talked about fire operations in garden apartments and townhomes, and he talked about uh, multiple dwelling fires, and I believe, yeah, he talked about, uh, man, he talked a ton about stair types. He talked a ton about stair types, Uh, and I'll get into that here in a second, 
Um, some of just the nuggets that some of the nuggets from uh, his talk on Wednesday. Um, he talked about slicers, and I know, wow, big, big, big controversial topic. Um, he actually didn't have a big problem with slicers, and he really praised the International Society of Fire Service Instructors. He really praised those guys. He said that the problem with slicers is that it talks about rescue last. It uses it as an action of opportunity, but he prefers to have the life safety listed first, so that's why he still goes with Recio. I definitely like his explanation behind it. I still think that slicers is a really good, if you're into acronyms, first and foremost, because not everybody is, and there's a huge contention out there. It's like, acronyms are dumb, and you shouldn't need them to do your job, and all that stuff. I mean, whatever you feel about them, they're, you're fine. I, I don't mind acronyms. If anything that can help me remember what to do at 3 in the morning, I'm a fan of it. Uh, I still feel that Slicers is a great engine company acronym. Like, first in arriving engine company. I feel that it's a great one. I feel that, because you can insert that rescue priority at any point in that slicer's algorithm or, or acronym. You can, you can insert it anywhere. If I'm stretching a hose line and I go through the front door of the building and I find a victim in the hallway, I don't... I don't necessarily crawl over them and go put the fire out, right? I can put the hose line down, grab the victim, and get them out. That's inserting rescue into that algorithm. That's inserting rescue into that algorithm. However, I do think that RECIO is a tremendous algorithm acronym for a command officer. When you show up as a command officer... What's your number on priority? The people. Make sure the people are out of the building. Make sure they're rescued. That's great for a command officer. As an engine company arriving, my number one priority is trying to put the fire out because I know that's going to rescue people. If I find them on my way to putting the fire out, awesome. And John Norman even talked about that. He was a big believer. Again, everything is it depends. But he's a big believer in about 98% of the time, he said, putting the fire out first. Engine companies go put the fire out. If all you've got is two people, go put the fire out. Period. End of story. And I'm a big believer in that because 90% of the time, all I have is two people on that hose line. Now, there are situations where that's going to have to go out the water. I find a victim in the hallway as I'm crawling down the hallway. We're going to stop and rescue that person if the fire conditions permit. But... 98% of the time, the best thing that I can do for everybody else in that building, including the firefighters, is to put the fire out. And so I I really believe that that Recio VS is uh, is good for command officers. And I still believe that Slicers is good for engine companies. You can hate me if you want, uh, but that's what I believe. He talked about some row frame stuff, and it was it was all pretty basic with the row frames. Um, Basically, adopt tactics to your current conditions. He was really big on that. That if you're not seeing type 3 construction, ordinary construction in your fire department, then you need to understand that this lightweight construction you're seeing, you have to adopt your tactics to that. You don't have 20 minutes. You don't have 30 minutes to fight fire in these buildings. Um, you know, he was really, really big on talking about that. and He, he kind of raised his voice a little bit on that one. Talked about water supply being critical. And even here it is, even said, the primary mission of the first arriving engine is to protect human life. And the best way they can do that is put the fire out. <laughs> Period. End of story. I even wrote it at the top of my page as a quote that he said. So, again, big, 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 big stuff. Oh, multiple dwelling fires. This is something that I never, I, not that I never knew, but he really harped on these channel rails and uh, pipe chases that they need to be opened up anytime you have a fire for these things. And it's kind of something that we ignore, I think. Uh, at least in, in, in maybe in my experience, got a fire in a kitchen, eh, okay. Once we find white wood, we tend to stop overhauling. But he even was like, nah, like, you need to open them up. Like, go in the bathroom and find the pipe chase for the toilet and open it up every time just to make sure that there's no fire extending up. And so I really think that that's something that we, uh, we ignore, at least I've ignored, 
in my uh, in my time in the fire department. Let's see what else did he get into? Oh, stairs, Whew. stairs, stairs, stairs. Man, he uh, he talked a ton about stairs. He talked a lot about you know there's the uh, different kinds of stairs. You have the single stair, one staircase, uh, you know, in the entire building. And then you have the transverse stair. It uh, allows you to cross over to different wings. And that's what we tend to see a lot and where I'm at is those transverse stairs. You've got, multi you got stairs on both ends of the building that allow you to access either stair and every floor. You've got wing stairs that only allow you to access the one wing. And then you have the isolated stairs that are basically like for one floor or one apartment. Like you walk up and boom, you have a stair landing. And then there's different stairs for each, for each apartment or for each, uh, for each floor. We don't tend to see a lot of that where I'm at. But he talked a lot about stairs. He talked a lot about how stairs uh, can hinder hose stretches. He talked a lot about using the well holes. Uh, he talked a lot about using rope stretches from the outside. But he always talked about, and this is something, even with standpipes, he always came back to you got to protect the stairs. He wants everybody going from the floor below. And I can tell you, that's something we ignore in my fire department. We don't go. If we do a rope stretch, we usually stretch to the fire floor. Uh, we stretch from about two or three rooms down from the fire room and that's in our supposed area of refuge um and it's mostly because we don't have a, we don't have a lot of hose in our high-rise packs it's pretty much you know we carry 200 feet and because of our staffing levels if we had more i think we would carry more but uh any kind of time we're operating we're doing some of that it is maxing and taxing the capabilities that we have as a first to arrive engine company so we try to minimize those by making certain sacrifices and taking certain risks uh definitely not definitely not opposed to that to his way of thinking it's just something that we just don't do enough and i think we need to do it because we're not putting ourselves in a safe area uh you know but he was very 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 big stretch the line if you're gonna do a rope stretch anything like that do it to the floor below and then protect those interior stairs and so that's something that everybody i think needs to needs to deal with flaking the hose on the floor below he was big about that he does not believe in flaking hose up the stairs like we've learned so many times with hose going up the stairs uh he feels that when you do that yes gravity can assist you stretching hose down into the fire area but he also says if you open that door and smoke and fire come out smoke and heat rise and they'll burn through your line he said he's seen that before so big, big, big thing to deal with there. Um, went over just some ventilation stuff. Basically, the, the theme of it all was coordinate your vent. Coordinate your vent, coordinate your vent. I uh, talked to him about some roof cuts. Again, coordinate. He, here's some stuff that he talked about, a lot of the fires that he talked about. Um, FDNY line of duty death. Uh, Jimmy Williams, wind-driven fire, January 5th, 1996. FDNY line of duty death. Uh, December 18th, 1998, the Vandalia Avenue fire. And then uh, December 23rd, 1998, uh, fire Macaulay Culkin's apartment killed four civilians. So one of the things he talked about with wind-driven fires in multifamily dwellings. So I encourage you guys to go read those for yourself and research them. I read some stuff about the Macaulay Culkin fire afterward, and it was pretty good. Um, skipping Thursday, because again, we already kind of talked about what Kurt, what Chief Ike said on Thursday. Um, going to day five, last day of the conference, he, this was one of the big ones, and he talked about trapped firefighter rescue. Here's some of the ones that he, that he talked about. Uh, Atlantic Avenue fire in the FDNY, uh, line of duty death collapse. He talked about Boston Ladder 15 in 1994. He talked about Lieutenant John Nance, Columbus, Ohio, 1987. Mark Langvart, Denver, the Denver drill. Everybody should know that in 1992. Captain Vincent Fowler, FDNY in 1999. And he talked about he's been a part of like eight or nine legit firefighter rescues. And uh, they didn't always go well. They didn't always go great. And so uh, he basically, uh, he talked a lot about those case studies. And he went a lot of those case studies. And here's uh, one of the things he talked about. The firefighter survival rules. And there was three of them. One, never put yourself in a position where you are depending on someone else to save you. Man, that is a big one. We do that so often too. Well, there's a writ out there. They'll get me. Chances are they won't. Number two, always know where your escape route is. And number three, always know where your second 
escape route is. And those were the three firefighter survival rules, and it all is about getting out of the building and knowing how to get out. It had nothing to do with anything else. It had everything to do with staying oriented to the building. So that's a really, really great... I, I thought it was a great take on it, um, and it's definitely different than than everything else that you know that other that everyone else is talking about. He said you, he when he used this and and it's a a, a play on so, a, a classic phrase, but he talked about you need to make sure that you know what's going on when the excrement hits the ventilator, i.e. when the shit hits the fan. Uh, he didn't want to uh, he didn't curse pretty much at all, but uh, that's that's a big thing. He talked about with the difference between real RITs or RICs and uh, fake ones. He's like, you know, you need to have them filled out, minimum of four. And he said you should not be sending the writ to do anything other than soften up the building. So, like, if you send the writ to throw a ladder, that's okay. If you send the writ to, like, hey, clear out a window, basically make the building firefighter safe, then you're okay. But if you're sending them to do anything that's going to tax them, like forcing doors, uh, going to the roof, anything like that, that has nothing to do with involved in firefighter rescue, then you're, you need to find someone else to do it because they have a lifespan. The writ has a lifespan. They only have a, a finite amount of freshness, and, they want, and he wants them that saved to go save a firefighter or to try to save a firefighter. Um, he showed a lot of videos on FDNY-specific things on how they handle mayday procedures in the FDNY. Uh, a lot of IC duties. His big thing was whatever you do, make sure you have a check sheet for it. Make sure you have a checklist, especially if you're a command officer. Have a checklist for all of those things. In fact, I wrote that in bold. Use a checklist. And I even wrote again, consider preloading a response package. We need that broken arrow word, folks. We need that broken arrow word. He talked about the Father's Day fire, uh, which was on uh, 6-15-01 in the FDNY where they lost Ford Downing and Fahey. Uh, he's talked about treating the fire as that everyone is the one. And I'm a big believer in that. It is the fire of our career until we get there and figure out that it's not. It is the fire of our career until we get there and figure out that it's not. And we need to act that way. Um, a lot of more other case studies and and everything like that that he talked about. Uh, talked about one in California. You know, just a lot of stuff. Radio discipline. Uh, really, so talking about Na uh, Nance from Columbus, Ohio. This happened in 1987. There's an article called The Murder of Lieutenant Vance, and I think that everyone should go read it. I read it in the middle of class when he was talking about it, and it details the entire line of duty death. Um... He also talked about Lieutenant Jack Toomey, or excuse me, not Lieutenant Jack Toomey, but FDNY Jack Toomey from Ladder 123 in 1987. He had a line-of-duty-death medical emergency on a roof. He had a medical emergency on a roof, and they struggled to get him down. Um, and so that's another one that I think you need to go research. And overall, just a phenomenal, phenomenal week in Pensacola. I cannot recommend you going out there enough. Chief Ike does a, an amazing job he coordinates stuff with restaurants all on Pensacola Beach to give discounts to firefighters, you know, drink discounts, meal discounts. You know, it is just, and even the people in the hotel, the people around town, they love the firefighters coming there. You know, they love the firefighters coming there. The Uber drivers love the firefighters coming there because even though, like, we ended up using an Uber to go downtown Pensacola the very last night, and they were like, heck yeah, we're so happy that you guys are here, you know, yada, yada, yada. Man, it's just a great, great atmosphere. It's one of the best conferences that I've ever gotten to attend. I plan on hitting all of them at some point. I just can't do them all in a year. Uh, I wish I could. One of the other things I did get to do, I got to sit down and record a video with Kyle Romagus from... Uh, from Smoothbore Cartel and Engine Company Resurrection, go to that Facebook page and like that Facebook page. It talked about the Fireground Commander Conference. Kyle does raffles. Kyle does raffles to send firefighters to conference. He raffles off swag. He raffles off, uh, like this, the one for the Fireground Commander Conference, he's raffling off a fireball. And then after the money he raises from that, he sends firefighters, all expenses paid or as much as he can cover, to conferences. And he is trying to send a firefighter to the Fireground Commander Conference. Kyle's a cool dude. He kind of looks like a biker, 
Uh, so maybe he's be a little intimidating to some people, but he's a cool guy. He is a really cool guy. He's doing some great stuff with engine company work, and he's doing some great stuff with uh, fire training in Texas, which is where he's from. So he's been on an episode of the Do Work podcast. Go out, go check that out. I think you're going to really find that Kyle Romagus is is an up and comer in the fire service, and he is going to to do some stuff, not be somebody. He's going to do some stuff. But overall, just a great, great week at the conference. Uh, I think the next one I want to go to is Water on the Fire. I'm pretty much planning that already for 2020. I'm going to go to Water on the Fire. I think that's going to be a really, really good one. Focusing on some stuff that I really want to focus on. Engine company work and just getting... You know, I focus a lot on engine company work anyway, but I want to be as good an engine company firefighter as I can be and as good an engine company officer as I can be. And that Water on the Fire conference is pretty much all engine. Um, also, before I end this this part of the podcast... Just a huge shout out to Mickle Redford, Ben Martin, Daniel Myers, and my brother Danny Owens, all firefighters. Uh, Danny works for the city of Richmond, Virginia. The other guys work for my fire department in Henrico. Just what a great group to travel with. We eat dinner together just about every night. We drank beer together just about every night. And this, and we were talking about the problems in our fire departments based on this stuff. And we talked to other people too. But man, what a tr- just a tremendous! I couldn't think of a gr- better group of guys to travel with. So just thank them for thanks to them for making the experience so awesome. Um, I recommend you go to any of the CFT conferences. You, you know they're going to bring in great speakers. Next year's officer development program is with Mike Turpak from Jersey City. That's going to be a great one. It's going to be a different perspective than John Norman's bringing. So go if you want to go. Water on the fire next year is going to be great. Water on fire this year is going to be great. They have still have. Command Officer Boot Camp this year. They still have Water on the Fire and still have HROC for 2019. And then in 2020, uh, ODP, Command Officer Boot Camp, Water on the Fire, and HROC again. So just go to one of these conferences. You will not be disappointed. I'm telling you. You will not be disappointed. And Kurt also supports other conferences. He gives other conferences registrations to his conferences for free. He's giving two registrations uh, for to the Fireground Commander Conference for people to go. So just a great, great time. Make sure you go to countyfiretactics.com. Uh, make sure you go to chiefnorman.com and you know to look all the stuff that they've got going on. Great, great stuff. And uh, we'll be back in a, just a minute with some ways that you can support some of these great companies that support me and on how you can get into the Fireground Commander Conference. can't say enough about the uh, just the great experience that I had at the uh, ODP this year with from County Fire Tactics. I know I said a lot of stuff about it in the last segment, but I just I, I can't say enough about it. It just it, it was just a great great experience. I can't wait to go back. I was really hoping that I was going to be able to win one of the Command Officer Boot Camp ones uh, in the raffle that he that he did. But I didn't, so because uh, you know, really, it's more of a leave and money issue at this point. It's not a desire. Uh, I really want to go to one of those things. But uh, if you really want to, uh, you know, and speaking of support, if you want to support this podcast or some of the companies that support me, let's start with Vanguard Safety Wear. Vanguard Safety Wear is the maker of the MK1 fire gloves. They're made for work. Go to VanguardSafetyWear.com to get your pair. I wear them every day at work. They're awesome. Uh, They get better every time I wear them. I've had them in multiple fires to this point. They're great. I can't get enough of them. So go to VanguardSafetyWear.com. The next one is Taylor's Tins. Taylor's Tins makes metal helmet fronts for your helmet. Doesn't matter the size, make, or whatever whatever you're looking for, Taylor's Tins has got you covered. This isn't some fly-by-night, like, click menu, like you get with uh, some other leather shield companies or anything like that. This is a fully custom-designed metal helmet front for you to basically show off your pride in your company, your department, or whatever. I have one on my helmet. It's awesome. It's durable. Uh, it, you know, it, it cleans well, it, it, and that's one of the big things with having the decon equipment these days. It is one of the best things that I've ever bought. I'm so glad I bought it. Taylor is an awesome guy, and he's doing great work on these helmet tins. So go to Facebook, Taylor's Tins, or go to taylorstins.com and get you a Taylor's Tin. Stop wearing leather fronts, stop burning them up, and get a Taylor's Tin. 
Next, a new company coming on the podcast, and you heard about him in the very last episode, Northern Star Fire. Uh, Northern Star Fire's created this compass for your mask that's going to help firefighters stay oriented in the building. Okay, it's great. Uh, I just got one and put it in my mask, and so far, just the initial trainings I've had with it, it's been functioning really great. Uh, it fits in the mask. It's no bigger than a bottle top from a from a Coke bottle. It is really great. Uh, it immediately it's, it's easy on, easy off. It is you know the batteries are easily rechargeable. They last a long time. It's pretty much it, it's it's going to enhance firefighter orientation in these buildings. Go to northernstarfire.com and contact Jeff Dykes to get your Northern Star Fire Compass today. You will not be disappointed. These things are cheap to buy, and they are going to enhance your ability to stay oriented in a fire building, especially in zero vis. So don't delay. Get out there. Go to northernstarfire.com. Tell them you heard it here on the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. Tell them you heard it here. Tell them you heard the episode. Tell them you heard it in the advertisements, and Jeff maybe can help you out a little bit. Okay? Northernstarfire.com. Lastly, the Fireground Commander Conference. We are coming down to the wire, folks. It's going to be in March of 2019 in Henrico County at the Henrico Theater. All of the early bird registrations have been sold out, which means already over 100 firefighters are going to be there. You don't want to get left out of this. You, don't, you do not want to get left out of this. It's going to be bigger and better than even last year's. This is our second annual Fireground Commander Conference. It is, ben Martin has put together a tremendous group of speakers. We're going to be kicking off the conference with Mike Gagliano talking about this firehouse rocks. If you've never heard that, you are missing out. If you've never heard Mike Gagliano speak, you're missing out. Then we're going to be having Christopher Nam talk about some things, talk about building construction. He's one of the foremost building construction experts in the country. Then the second day is going to be all Nick Martin talking about how to be an aggressive command officer. An aggressive command officer. I think there's a lot of chiefs out there that need to come listen to this class. If you're listening, you need to come listen to this class on how to be an aggressive command officer. Then the last day, we're going to be having my good buddy John Dixon talking about normalization of deviance and how we need to stop taking shortcuts in our fire service and making and doing things the right way. And the last speaker is going to be Jeff Shoup. If you've never heard of Jeff Shoup, you need to get out from under that rock. Jeff Shoup has been in the fire service for over 40 years in some of the toughest places in Cleveland, Ohio. The guy has been there. He's done that. He even wrote the book. Okay, There's a book of Jeff Shoup going out there that was compiled by Gary Lane of all the articles Jeff Shoup has done. You don't want to miss this. Jeff Shoup is going to rock your world with some engine company work. He's going to be basically pointing out all the shortcomings that some of these other engine companies have and how you can fix them. So it's going to be a great, great conference. We're raising money for the Central Virginia Burn Camp. We're raising money for the Burn Foundation. We're uh, going to be going out to Strangeways Brewery to have a uh, to have a social after the first night. It's just going to be phenomenal, guys. You don't want to miss it. You do not want to miss this. All the early bird registrations are, are sold out. So the regular price, though, the regular price is still one of the cheapest fire department conferences in the whole country. Not in Virginia, not on the East Coast, the whole country. You're getting five speakers, three days for $150, and we're going to feed you every day. There's snacks in between. Uh, there's snacks in the morning. There's snacks in between uh, the breaks. There's lunch every day. You are going to go out of this place well-fed, well-educated, and ready to go back to your fire department and punch some people in the face because of how excited you are. That's how jacked up you're going to be. So do not delay. Go to www.embracetheresistance.com. That's Ben's website. And there will be a registration register now tab on the for the Fireground Commander. So go out there, $150. If you, don't, if you don't have time to go, you're a company officer. One of my good friends that went with me to this conference in uh, Pensacola, uh, Lieutenant uh, Mickle Redford, he bought a conference registration for one of his firefighters. That's one of the best ways a company officer can invest in their people is to buy a registration for one of their firefighters. So even if you can't go, take that $150 and invest it in your team, invest it in your people. Come to the Fireground Commander Conference also. I mentioned it in the other segment. 
Kyle Romagus from Engine Company Resurrection and Smoothbore Cartel is running a raffle. $20 gets you in the raffle. It gets you in the raffle to get to come to the Fireground Commander Conference, but it can also win you some Smoothbore Cartel swag packs or a fire mall. For $20, you could win a conference registration in a hotel room. I mean, that's a lot. That, that's, that's a great deal. So do not delay. Go enter Kyle Romagus's Engine Company Resurrection on Facebook. Enter the raffle. Enter the raffle for all these other conferences, too. Kyle's doing some great things. He's trying to send firefighters to conferences. He's trying to send firefighters to conferences. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's admirable at the least. It's admirable. It's phenomenal at the most. So go into the raffle or just get that registration, embracetheresistance.com. Click on the sign up for the Fireground Commander Conference. It'll take you to the registration page. It's simple and easy. And then you can join us in, uh, in March for the Fireground Commander. All right, that's all I got for this week on the podcast. Okay. Uh, sorry I went so long in between podcasts. I'm hoping to, uh, you know, I was at, I was in Florida doing the conference. Didn't have a lot of time to do any social media. Make sure you follow me at AverageJakeFF on Twitter. Make sure you uh, follow me on Instagram as well. Same thing. I'm on LinkedIn at Robert Owens. All those social media sites. And like I say, every time on this podcast, if you need to spend one hour a day doing some sort of physical fitness, some PT, one hour a day reading something about our job, educating yourself, and one hour a day doing some sort of hands-on training. You do that, and you'll become a pretty phenomenal firefighter. Thanks for listening. Stay safe but aggressive.